You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the ACMA Podcast. Career opportunities for pharmacists in the pharmaceutical industry have never been better. Are you interested in breaking into the industry? It can be competitive. You must distinguish yourself. The Accreditation Council for Medical Affairs, or the ACMA, offers the only specialized board certification for healthcare professionals to help prepare them for roles such as medical science liaison, medical director, drug information experts, and more. The Board Certified Medical Affairs Specialists, or BCMAS program is an online self-paced program recognized worldwide as the industry standard and has been featured on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Forbes, ABC News, the Pharmaceutical Executive, and Yahoo Finance. Become a board-certified medical affairs specialist and build your professional brands. Learn more. Go to medicalaffairsspecialist.org. Hey, Brianna, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. We've had a lot of rain here and it's been a little bit hectic, a little pretty busy as always, but we're so excited to have you on the show this month. And, you know, you're a, a brand new medical science liaison and you've, Brianna's actually, she is an MPL author with us. She's written two just amazing articles. One's the role of the medical science liaison. It's a, a, a quick primer on uh, some of the the things she's experienced in her first few months on the job. And she's also written an article about her, her road from managed care to pharma, uh, which covered uh, her path from graduating pharmacy school, going into residency, and then how she used that managed care residency to pivot into her current role. So Brianna, it's great to have you here. And without further ado, we'll dig in a little bit. Um, so right. yeah, so I know in your articles, you covered a little bit about your educational journey um, at a high level. Uh, for those who haven't read those yet, could you, could you kind of summarize that journey for us now? Sure. So I attended pharmacy school at Western New England University in Springfield, Mass. And while I was in my first professional year, the university announced that they would start to offer this new program. And it was a combined dual degree farm DMBA. And anyone who had finished their first professional year of coursework could apply for this program. They also had to take all of the prereqs and go through all of the grad school educational background in terms of like the GMAT and whatnot. And I knew at that time that I wanted to pursue a career in managed care immediately following graduation. So I felt like if I got my MBA right out of the gate, I would have a leg up. I'd feel more comfortable going into a career in managed care. And I also knew that I wanted to finish those business classes before going off on rotations in my final year of school. So how it was kind of all structured in terms of a timeline was I got my bachelor's in 2013, graduated with the MBA in 2014, and then my PharmD in 2015, followed by a PGY1 managed care pharmacy residency from 2015 to 2016. So straight shot from 2009 to 2015 for my pharmacy degree, and then the one-year post-grad managed care residency from 2015 to 2016. Very nice. And what was it about 
I guess to take a step back, you know, not everyone knows what managed care is. How, how is it kind of presented to you as a, as a pharmacy student? What, what is managed care? What, what does that look like and what attracted you to that in the first place? Sure. So I think when I was in school, we had an intro to pharmacy course and each week different speakers from different areas in pharmacy would come in and talk to us about what they were doing, how they got there, how a student should prepare to get there. And one of the careers that someone had discussed was managed care. And it was this very unfamiliar topic for me. And I think for a lot of students and kind of even still is for a lot because most students don't really get exposure to it in pharmacy school. But in a nutshell, I think the way it was explained to me was a combination of using your clinical knowledge and also using business skills and business acumen. And it was this blend of basically trying to find a way to cover and find funds for in the pharmacy budget for all of the different therapeutic areas and different conditions someone may have. So it's figuring out a way to get all of those medications covered without running out of money in your pharmacy budget. So it was like this puzzle idea that I had in my mind that would be a really exciting area to go in. And it was something that was of interest to me, but I did not know all of the other things that you could do with managed care at the time. And those are things that I guess became more clear to me as I pursued that career. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that's pretty in line with my understanding. And I mean, in, in sort of a broad sense, it's really about the resource management in healthcare, right? Like figuring exactly. out how to, to leverage the, the funds that you have to make sure that all patients get access to their medicines, that they're taking the right medicines and so on and so forth. It's, it's that managerial piece that's kind of missing in just the day-to-day clinical roles. Yep. You hit the nail on the head with that. That's great. And so clearly the MBA gave you a, a great skill set for pursuing that sort of career. Um, but then at what point did you start looking at uh, directions in life sciences and the pharmaceutical industry? What triggered that? Yeah, so we had two speakers come in. One came in from managed care. The other came in from industry. But the person who spoke to us about industry had already done a managed care pharmacy residency, had been in managed care, and then transitioned into the pharmaceutical industry. So I was intrigued because I said, oh, okay, that sounds great. Because if I choose to pursue something in managed care, I could change my mind later. And even if I pursue something in managed care, that might make me better equipped to transition into a role as an MSL. So it's not to say that managed care pharmacy experience makes you a better MSL in general. I think that unique experiences, whether that's clinical, managed care, something else, those unique experiences can position you uh, or give you a better understanding of the big picture when transitioning into a role as an MSL. But I would say during pharmacy school, when I originally heard about it. I didn't quite know what to do with it. But when I took my post-grad residency and when I moved into a managed markets position after my residency, I started to work a lot more with MSLs, account managers, others in pharma. And it was at that point that I said, okay, I think I know what an MSL does. I think I'd be really good at it. And I finally feel comfortable transitioning into it. So a little bit of exposure during pharmacy school, but then after pharmacy school, I learned more about it. And that's what triggered me to kind of pursue that. 
I see. And of course, there's a lot of interaction between the managed care side and those pharma professionals. So with your background, you really understood the other side of the table uh, in a lot of these interactions yeah. and, and situations exactly. and, and goals. I see. And you know what, what's cool to me about medical science liaisons is that it seems like there's so many different pathways that, that lead into the role. And it's cool that you really yeah. leveraged that that managed care, that managerial resource management uh, perspective, really built that out with your, your MBA and the residency. And I, I feel like that might be unique uh, re- relative to a lot of your colleagues, perhaps, who are much more sort of clinical or, or therapeutically uh, focused uh, in, uh, completely in, through their education. Yeah, and I think that one thing that is really interesting about the MSL role is that there are usually two different types. There are payer-facing MSLs and there's provider-facing MSLs. And even though I'm a provider-facing MSL, having that payer experience and that managed care experience equips me in a different way than if I had strictly just gotten that clinical and provider-facing experience. So it was nice to transition into it. It was a leap for me, but it was something that I felt like I was ready for and up for the challenge. But certainly somebody could also pursue a payer-facing role, and maybe someday I could transition over to that as well. So there's versatility, which is definitely an attractive uh, quality about the role. Absolutely. So while we've discussed a a few different uh, directions you can go with the MSL. Let's, let's dive into sort of big picture medical science liaison. What, 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 how did that role come into to place and what are some of the strategic goals of the medical science liaison? Why, why do they exist? Sure. So obviously in the pharmaceutical industry, there's a bunch of different departments that you could work with or work in. And there's sales, there's marketing, there's the brand teams, there's all kinds of departments. And I think the best way I understand it or could explain it is that what MSL do is they really support what the other teams are doing. So sales representatives could go into a doctor's office and they can share what's in the FDA approved labeling and what's in that package insert. But there are certain things that an MSL can speak to that due to regulatory and compliance reasons, sales reps cannot speak to. So for instance, if a product has a mechanism of action that maybe isn't listed in the listed in the package insert, if a uh, drug has unpublished studies or published literature that isn't in the package insert, so maybe some additional post-marketing reports or clinical trials that were done, MSLs can share the data behind that. So what I would say is that MSLs are involved in and responsible for engaging in scientific, clinical, and educational exchange with healthcare providers. And that will include interactions with key opinion leaders, Sometimes you'll hear that referred to as a KOL. Uh, Sometimes they're also referred to as thought leaders or TLs. And to give a little bit of additional information on that, key opinion leaders are typically providers who have done a significant amount of published work in a given area. Maybe they've presented at notable conferences on a specific topic, and they're experts in a certain clinical and therapeutic area. I see. No, that's really great. And so, so ultimately, they're, they're there to provide additional knowledge about uh, your given portfolio of medicines to that provider community. Yeah. Yep. And one thing that I'll also say is that while MSLs are tasked 
with delivering those presentations, maybe on disease state education, pipeline information, et cetera. They're also tasked with learning from their thought leaders. So what I alluded to previously is that they're engaged in the exchange. And the thing that I like best about the word exchange is that it sort of signals that there's a two-way street here and it's going both ways. And so MSLs are putting forth information, but their, their ultimate goal isn't really to go out there and just do a data dump and share all that information. Their information uh, that they can get back is also very critical and that's something that can help the other teams and maybe can uncover or discover other areas that a company should perhaps be pursuing. So there are insights that you can glean from speaking with thought leaders and I think that's a very important, if not critical, role and responsibility of the MSL. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, that, that's got to be the, the biggest touch point for sort of gathering primary market research, right? Because these thought sure. leaders are more familiar with you know, the pains of the, their patients in their specific therapeutic area. And, you know, what are the gaps in the, the guidelines? What are, what are the, the missing pieces in the, the therapy options? And they can kind of inform the, the, the next stage of development. Absolutely. And they can share information about their specific approach to treating patients. Uh, they can also share information about where they see treatment fitting into practice. So there's a lot of really great information that you can gather from speaking with the KOL and there's so much you can learn. And that's one of the things that I really like about this role is just that I'm not going out there and just sharing information. I'm learning. And one of the things that is important to me in a career is that I'm constantly being challenged on my toes and just always learning. And I'm that's something that it was just the perfect transition for me into this role. That's what's also really attractive to me uh, about the role and probably to a lot of other students and young professionals is that, I mean, you have to stay at the forefront of that therapeutic area you work in because those thought leaders, mm -hmm. they're obviously incredibly gifted individuals who are very up to date, very, uh, in touch with the needs of that disease and, and you kind of have to keep, keep up or get out. Right. Absolutely. Um, great. So since you, you just recently got the MSL role a few months ago, uh, hopefully your memory's still fresh. How, how did you go about preparing <laughs> for the interview process? Uh, when, when did you decide that you were ready and how did you go about preparing for that? Well, to give you a little bit of background, um, so I graduated in 2015, did my residency in 2016, and then really started to apply for things in June 2018. So okay. June 2018 was about three years out from my graduation date. And one of the things that you'll see a lot on job descriptions for MSL postings is that they usually, most employers will want you to have about two to three years of clinical experience in a related field. So I'd done my one year post-grad residency in managed care, and then I did two years in managed markets. So fortunately in my role, I felt like preparing for the interview was a little bit easier than let's say someone who wanted to come into an interview without those experiences, maybe a brand new grad or somebody who had just done their one year residency. But in my last role in managed markets, I became very familiar with the work of an MSL. So I didn't have to do as much background research on the role of an MSL. But one of the things that I definitely did do was 
make sure I was on the right track. So there were tons of resources that I used to prepare for the role. And doing a quick Google search, I think, was really helpful to me. So I just Googled MSL interview questions, MSL interview preparation, and that got me looking at things that gave me more comfort and more confidence that I was doing the right thing in the way I was preparing for the interview. So I also talked to mentors and did a lot of kind of like um, basic interview prep that I'd done in other roles, but more so tailored to something in pharma by preparing for a presentation because oftentimes you will have to give a clinical presentation. So in my last role, I was doing a lot of clinical presentations. So if somebody else didn't do a lot of clinical presentations, definitely brush up on that before an interview. (laughs) I see. Now, are these... Uh, similar, I don't know how familiar you are, but but are they similar to sort of like fellowship interview uh, presentations or residency presentations if they, if they have them or is it more? I would say for sure. Yeah. So I did a residency, so I can't speak directly to the fellowship experiences and the fellowship interview process, but I would say they're probably pretty similar. And a lot of times employers will either let you pick a topic of your choice or they'll tell you what topic to present on. Sometimes that can seem really daunting, especially if that's not a clinical area that you're interested in. But for the role that I interviewed for, it was in migraine and it was an area that I'd already done work in. So for me, it was just a a no brainer and I felt very comfortable doing it. But if it's something like you're interviewing for an oncology position and maybe you're more comfortable in hypertension, definitely understand that like you might get asked to present on something that maybe you're not comfortable with. Well, to that point, you know, a lot of the the roles are require you to have a couple of years, usually in that specific therapeutic area. Is that not necessarily the case? Well, I would say a lot of them on paper will say that that's what they're looking for, but it doesn't mean that if you are a quick learner that they wouldn't also consider you. So I think being a quick learner is something that will allow you to bypass or I guess um, maybe have a little bit of wiggle room to get past that. So let's say your two to three years are in a totally unrelated clinical area, but you've kept on top of different therapeutic advances and you feel comfortable being able to wear a few different hats at once. I think that employers, especially for somebody who is a fresh grad or somebody who did a fellowship or did a residency, they realize that you're still so new and so on top of all of these different advances that maybe that's a benefit and maybe that's something that you can speak to as a positive attribute. So, and then you're a, a migraine medical science liaison, right? Yeah. So you, you could basically, it seems like if you have enough sort of scientific literacy and communication ability, you could go in even without specific migraine experience and demonstrate that you have the competencies they're looking for. Absolutely. No, oh, that's, that's very encouraging. I'm sure. I'm sure that's, that's what a lot of listeners would be excited to hear, hear about. Um, so what does the the typical hiring process look like? Are there multiple interviews? And so you mentioned the presentation, are are there other behavioral components and, um, you know, for you specifically, what do you think were your strengths that you were able to showcase that helped you land the job? Sure. So I think a 
a lot of companies will do the typical phone screening process before they bring someone in. Sometimes companies also do a behavioral type questioning like you alluded to in an online format before you come in. I think those things are part of most uh, traditional interview processes. But then also when you come in for that on-site interview, usually you'll have a one-on-one, maybe a two-on-one or a panel interview plus the presentation. So I would say that's usually how their hiring process would be structured for a typical MSL role. And then what they're looking for, I would say, definitely somebody who's very driven, a self-starter. I mentioned before, a quick learner would be huge here. They want somebody who, because you're delivering a lot of presentations, somebody who's dynamic and engaging as a speaker. And then I think it's also important to point out that it would not be (laughs) to your benefit to be shy for a role like this, because you are going to be doing a lot of speaking, a lot of talking with clinical experts. So you want to be someone who enjoys conversing and who's comfortable speaking pretty frequently. And then also somebody who can juggle a number of projects at any given time and can wear multiple hats at any given time. And as I mentioned before, those are things that attracted me to the role because definitely I'm a very go, go, go person. And I like to have a lot of things on my plate at any given time because that's what sort of keeps me engaged and feeling like I'm being challenged, but in a good way. Sure. And then um, the other question that you had, so unique strengths that I was able to put forth in that interview process, definitely I would say the managed care and managed markets experience specifically for this role because as an MSL, when you think about the pharmaceutical industry, there's new products coming out all of the time. And so as an MSL, if I had that managed markets experience and I was assisting pharmaceutical companies with product launches and things like that. Those are things that a pharmaceutical manufacturer would be interested in having an MSL have exposure to because if you're going to be rolling out a product launch and you've got experience in that, that's going to be helpful to them. And if you're comfortable in that, that's great. But I think for others, Highlighting some unique experiences that you have, even if it's not managed care or managed markets, maybe it's clinical experience, maybe it's a rotation that you did. Those things definitely showcase and and bring out in your interview and make sure you really highlight. Very cool. And I guess having, having that perspective of being the health plan decision maker with just the onslaught of new information coming at you, that, that helped you describe to them how you would cut through the noise and and connect a little better. Definitely. And in my last role in the managed markets area that I was working in, we did a lot with competitive intelligence, finding ways to help companies put forth their key messages, figure out what their strong selling points were and what really resonated with the payer audience. So coming into this role, it was very comfortable for me because this is something that I looked forward to and any new products that come out, I would love to work on a project like that. So I think specifically for me, this was a, a nice transition, but for others, maybe your clinical experiences in being able to understand the therapeutic landscape of a, di- a specific disease state, and then being able to figure out where something might fit in, whether it's first, second, or third line. So just highlight what your unique experiences are and really find a way to relate that back to the position you're applying for. And I think that's a really, really good uh, piece of advice that I'd say that would relate back to this role. 
So be uh, outgoing and obviously not shy. Uh, have the the clinical competency and the the scientific communication skills to demonstrate that you can present effectively on this topic. And I guess it doesn't hurt to to be inside the head a little bit of uh, who you're presenting to. You kind of have yep, absolutely. all of that in one package. Well, that makes, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Um, did you have any mentors or, or role models while you were preparing for your MSL interview? And are, were there any other, uh, aside from internet searches, were there any particular books or websites or other resources that you relied on? So I had a few managed care mentors who had actually recently, or at the time I was interviewing, recently transitioned into pharma. So that was a huge help to me because I was able to see that you can transition, that you have somebody who you know well enough to ask, how do you like it? What are some things that you think that would be good for me to speak to? You know me, so what would you say that I should really play up as my strengths? So definitely those were really important mentors that I turned to. But then I also talked to people who I'd been working with even when I was a student and just saying, what do you think? Do you support me in this? Do you think that this would be something that I'd be good at? And I had so much support and so much backing from everybody that I spoke to that I felt like I had the best cheerleaders behind me just making sure that uh, I was pursuing something that it's like, I talked to a lot of people, they thought that I was going to do this all along. And I think most people were thinking and saying to me, you know, Oh, it's about time. I thought you would eventually do this. So <laughs> it was really good to hear that because, you know, for me, I think anytime somebody goes through a career transition or they go down a different path, they're always thinking, Oh, am I making the right decision? Is this going to be good? But hearing from other people that they thought I would do this all along, it was just kind of like, okay, well, I, I feel comfortable doing this. I think that this is a, a good decision for me. So I would say any role models you have reach out to, but then also, I know you didn't really ask for advice, but I'm giving it anyway. Oh, please do. <laughs> um, any mentor, <laughs> any mentors that you have, I think reach out to, but also even if you don't have a mentor while you're in school, I mean, I'm somebody who I, I think of myself as being very approachable. So I always encourage to like anybody who's listening to this or if they're reading this, feel free to reach out to me and ask for advice or ask for input. Because uh, one of the things that I thought was so amazing when I was in pharmacy school was the number of people that offered to be a mentor for me. So I always love the opportunity to give back now. So anybody who has questions, I'm an open book. So feel <laughs> free to reach out. That's very generous of you to offer. And you, you know, be careful what you wish for, because I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll get <laughs> some, some people reaching out, but that, that's great. Brianna, that's uh, that's wonderful. And you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, we, we've all gotten so much help as, as we grown up in our, our careers and our education from people that we look up to and, having the chance, you know, you're, you're finally at a place where you've done a few things, right. And you can turn around and, and share your, your insights. And I think that passion comes through in, in your articles and is definitely providing a lot of value to a, a lot of peers. So thanks hey. for, uh, thanks for championing that. Sure. Um, could you, well, what, what, what sorts of technical expertise or uh, prior experiences have you found useful in your current role? We, we've touched a little bit on, some of the, the soft skills and having the scientific communication and personality type, but what about the hard skills? So I think some of the things that I liked a lot in my last role that 
are actually involved in my current role are doing work around competitive intelligence. So figuring out who your competitors are, what's out in the public domain, how are they positioning things, being able to find differentiation factors or finding ways to distinguish one product from another. I think those are skills that I think you learn in pharmacy school because there's that concept, I think, that's presented at some point during school, like what's a me too drug? So I think being able to say, okay, well, these two are similar, but here's how this one's different. That's a good skill that you would work on and and would be good to have in this role. But then also being able to do data capturing and reporting, not in a really nitty gritty sense, but also um, in this role, you'll do a lot of interacting, but you will want to report on those interactions. So maybe you attend a conference and maybe there are insights that you're able to capture and bring back. Well, most companies will have reporting software for that. So being comfortable inputting information, not necessarily in an Excel spreadsheet, but in any sort of database. And I think experience that you'll get in retail and hospital pharmacy with data input and prescription entering and data entry, those skills would translate over and make you feel comfortable doing this. So it's, it's not as daunting as it might sound in my description. <laughs> oh, I mean, that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, a lot of these are, are things that you're going to exercise in any sort of internship or even entry level role in terms of getting used to data entry and uh, I'm sure finding your way around Microsoft office and that sort of thing. So there weren't any particular software or programming systems that you had to be familiar with at all. No, no. So everything, they'll train you on everything. Every company will have their own software, their way of doing things. There will be training programs. So everyone starts off somewhere when they start as an MSL. I had no exposure to this previously, so there will definitely be training programs in place. So can you describe a little bit about what sort of starting in MSL training looks like and how long that lasts and how how does that culminate? Is there a a test at the end or how do you sort of demonstrate that you're ready to, to hit the field? So I think there's a few different things. From the clinical side, I think that most companies will have a pretty rigorous clinical training ramp-up period mm-hmm. where you'll be doing self-study at home, some sort of home study activities with maybe some quizzes thrown in there. Depending on the clinical area that you're in, it could range from a few months to upwards of a year. So it really depends. I mean, you think about some of the somewhat easier disease states. And then there's oncology, which can be an absolute beast if you're trying to get down to a really specific area with all sorts of mutations and treatment algorithms and things like that. So it'll be a few months, sometimes up to a year. Um, But then also there's going to be the regulatory and compliance side of things. So clinically, you can be clinically sound in a given area, but you also have to make sure that you are following the rules and the regulations that are out there. So there will usually be a training program for that aspect of your training too. And then oftentimes there's also going to be that assessment. So after you've done all of this, they want to make sure that you're ready to go out there and be able to present and interact with thought leaders. So usually there will be a field ready assessment and maybe a few different variations of that. So ultimately going through that program, when, by the time you hit the field, did you feel pretty confident about getting out there and interacting with external stakeholders and sharing your information? 
Definitely. And I think I was really excited because it didn't feel real to me. I felt like once I had finally done it, it was just like this, oh my God, I'm, I'm ready. I'm out there. I'm, it, yeah. it was so exciting. I felt probably how you feel when you, well, you're, you're almost there, but when you're going to graduate pharmacy school and take your NAPLEX and, and do all of these different things post-grad, it's this excitement of, I just spent all this time doing this and now this is the real world. So even mm. though my training wasn't a full year, it was just, it, it felt like forever, but also like it wasn't that much time either. <laughs> right. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure the learning never ends, like you said, and that's what's so cool about the role is that you know the environment's always changing there's always more coming yeah. out and you know it, the training wheels Definitely. might be off but there's always more to learn for sure could you provide an example of a project that you're proud of it could be from your current role or, or maybe a, a past one if you are still getting more experience as an msl but anything yeah anything so in my last role, I did a project on a specific area within headache medicine. And in that project, I got to engage with many of the KOLs who are in the headache space. And I worked with them on a manuscript. I got to engage with them in a payer and provider two-sided discussion. And having both of them in the room, the payers and the providers, it got both groups to understand where each person or which uh, side was coming from. And then also being able to work toward building better solutions and uh, better options for patients moving forward. So it involved a lot of uh, the thought leaders who I'll be working with in my current role. So right. it was a really nice transition because it was in a related area. It's with the providers who I'll interact with in my current role. So um, I would say that that was, very helpful when uh, not only interviewing, but also in my day-to-day activities now. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, and what, what sorts of skills did you have to use to put that all together? Yeah. So we had an in-person meeting. So I had to feel comfortable speaking with these thought leaders who obviously at the time I had no idea I'd be interviewing for this role or uh, where this would take me. So at the Mm -hmm. time I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these are, these are the gurus. These are the experts. They are so much smarter than me. And I'm this young 20 something and I'm in a room full of all of these key, key opinion leaders, key thought leaders. And I have to be able to hold my own and act like I know what I'm talking about because (laughs) at the time I was, I was a almost brand new grad. So this was very new to me. So clinical knowledge had to be there, being able to speak with them and being able to have strong interpersonal skills. That was a piece of it. But then because it involved writing a manuscript, strong writing and communication skills definitely were required. Oh, that's, that's great. And obviously I'm sure that your interviewers for the MSL role loved hearing about that experience and definitely had a leg up there. It didn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So as we've discussed, there's lots of different paths to becoming a a medical science liaison. You have PharmDs that are doing it, MDs, PhDs, and even nurses, you were saying in in your latest article. Um, Yeah. Is there sort of, you know, there's also different postdocs. Some people do fellowships in medical affairs or MSL specifically. Some people obviously do residencies like yourself. Some people just might have some years of work experience. Is, Is there any sort of one path that is considered to be the fastest path to getting into an MSL role and what does that look like? And is that a good way of sort of 
planning out one's career or is it, is there more value to sort of thinking about the path that will set you up for the most success and will provide you with the best skill set for that role once you get there? What are your your thoughts on those different divergent pathways? No, I think that's a great question. And to go to your first question about what's the fastest path, I would say for specifically those who are in a pharmacy program, not really speaking to the PhD or the nurse practitioner side of things because I can't give direct advice on that. But if someone's in pharmacy school, trying to get at least one internship while you're in school, maybe two, maybe three, depending on whether these are during your final years or during some of your earlier years of pharmacy education, any internship that you can do would be a huge help. But then also pursuing a fellowship or a post-grad position, so maybe not a fellowship, maybe an entry-level position or a related position at a pharmaceutical company, I think that those things collectively would give you ultimately that two years of clinical experience because most fellowships in the pharmaceutical industry will be about two years. There are some that are one year. Um, So that would probably get you the fastest way of becoming an MSL. But I also think that coming from my side of things, so I have three years of experience and I don't think three is necessarily better than two, but at the end of the day, it's what makes you feel most comfortable going into that role. So for me, I've done my one year post-grad plus two years in the managed markets role. And I wouldn't go back and change it to try and go faster because those three years gave me such unique experiences and also gave me that comfort level going into it. So whether you're somebody who's a brand new grad or you're 10 years post-grad and thinking of making a career switch, really it's where you feel comfortable and where you feel you can uniquely speak to certain experiences that would make you a strong candidate. I think it's at the end of the day, what's right for you. So whether it's the fastest path or the longest path, I think that ultimately it's just about the experiences that you have during whatever that timeline looks like. Interesting. So you don't think that there is more value to, for instance, for a specific disease area, say migraine, or maybe even something, I don't know. something that might require uh, more intense sort of background knowledge, like an oncology maybe where, like you said, they have very complicated treatment algorithms. Um, do you think there's any additional value to having like a hardcore clinical residency that, that specializes in that function or is it more important to sort of have your own unique story to tell? I think so. Specifically for oncology, it would probably be very beneficial to do some sort of very in-depth and very focused residency, but I also know people who've done it without having done that, and they were, so for me, in managed care, you're kind of, not an expert, but you're you're well-versed in all things at all times because managed care is just, it's very general compared to something like a focused. Uh, clinical residency would be. So one year in managed care, there's usually not going to be two-year managed care residencies. There are a handful, but predominantly, I would say they're they're one year. Um, So for somebody with managed care experience, I know people who transitioned from managed care residencies into MSL roles in oncology, and they were well-equipped to do that. But 
there are so many focused areas of oncology that if a company has a really broad products portfolio, you couldn't possibly be an, an expert in all specific areas of oncology with all of the different mutations and whether that's first, second, or third line treatment. So I think it could be a help, but I also don't think it's necessary. Did that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's sort of this, this age old question that I, I kind of dial back to in a lot of different interviews is what, what's the value of breadth versus depth. And obviously there's, there's a value proposition to, to both sort of career directions and, I mean, you, you have a unique angle in that you have the breadth of the, the managed care and having managed all the different disease states at once for a health plan, but also having that unique angle. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, like you, like you said, ultimately, it's, it's getting to that point where you feel comfortable uh, with your background to feel like you would contribute value to that role. Yeah. And, I guess that's why the the position's so dynamic is it seems like the bottom line is there is no one right answer. So Brianna, what opportunities are there to move up from an MSL role? Is there a certain accomplishment or standard length of time before you have a promotion or you're, you're sort of being looked at for promotion and what sorts of directions can you potentially take to, to move upwards or even laterally with a company? Yeah, so I think each company does it a little bit different, but at least from my experience, usually you will transition from an MSL to a senior MSL, and then from there, you could become a regional director. Sometimes there's also global directors if a company has a global presence. So in terms of a specific amount of time or a certain accomplishment that you'd have to have, I think on paper, there might be at some companies a number of years that you need to be in that role. But I think more often than not, it's more about what you're doing during those years that makes more of an impact than the actual number of years. So no specific time factor or accomplishment, but I think um, just being able to demonstrate during the time that you're in that role before you transition is, is the more important thing. I see. And then... Obviously, MSLs interact with a lot of different departments, including medical affairs, which they're often sort of housed within, or regulatory affairs, yep. um, even marketing sales teams, you're training sales reps, like you said in your article. Uh, are, are any of these other departments directions that some MSLs uh, explore after spending a bit of time in, in their liaison role? I think some people might transition into more of like the global medical affairs groups. Sometimes there are almost um, unique opportunities that will become available to you from being an MSL if a product or a therapeutic area takes off in a specific direction. So mm -hmm. sometimes if a product gets multiple indications, maybe those teams will then split off and someone will focus on one therapeutic area and then the new indication will get a new team involved. So sometimes people will end up moving into something in the marketing or the brand roles, things like that become opportunities that are available. But I, I've seen it happen. Um, but for me, I think I'm probably most familiar with people staying within the medical affairs group. I see. What, uh, how, how do you, uh, find the right therapeutic area to focus on as an MSL? Uh, for instance, for, a you know, in pharmacy school, we start feeling 
a little bit of pressure to start thinking about what we want to specialize in therapeutically and are some disease states or therapeutic areas better than others for compensation or job opportunities as far as you know? So I would say my overarching recommendation would be whenever possible, choose whatever it is you're passionate about. Mm. I know that's not always going to be an option. I know that sometimes people will just want to get their foot in the door and say, I'll take this MSL experience and use it as a springboard to get where I ultimately want to be. But at the end of the day, one of the things that I'll hear from my mentor all the time is that the role and the functions of an MSL, you know, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. And so mm -hmm. for longevity's sake, picking what you're passionate about will keep you in that area longer than picking something that you're going at from maybe a more strategic way. There's nothing wrong with going at it from a strategic perspective and saying, okay, what's a hot topic right now? Where are things headed? What has the most promise in terms of being here to stay? Is there any product that's out there that seems like it's getting a lot of traction and going at it that way? I don't think that's a wrong thing to do. But for me, because I see this as being a career that I'd like to stay in for a considerable amount of time, going with what I was passionate about was a huge help for me and I think has kind of put me in the right direction. Absolutely. This, this is a career. You better, better enjoy what you're focusing on. Right. That's the, and I mean, you ha, you need to be excited about this stuff. You're spending so much time with it. And I feel like passion, it makes sense to be your recommendation for the number one, uh, sort of thing impacting your, your decision there because you know, so much goes into that. Um, you know, you'll, you'll be able to be the most authentic if you're really passionate about the topic. Definitely. And you'll be talking about this day in and day out. So if it's something that you don't like and you can't foresee yourself doing that, probably don't pursue that avenue. <laughs> <laughs> totally makes sense. And I don't know, obviously the, the success and everything that comes with it will follow if you're passionate about it. Yeah. Brianna, what are your future aspirations? Uh, where, where do you hope to go and grow in, in your current role? And what do you hope is the next step for you? Yeah, I think, you know, given that this is still so new for me, I'm really happy and I'm still so excited and every day is so new for me and there's always new things to be working on. But forward thinking, I would say probably next step would be senior MSL. And I don't really have a timeline for when I'd like to accomplish that. And it's funny because I'm definitely a very goal-oriented person and I'm very much a go-getter. But right now, I'm, it's for the first time in my life, I think I'm just enjoying the ride. And it's yeah. just nice because in this role, I think it's just so different from other roles that I've been in and in other areas within pharmacy. There's not as much of a pressure, I don't think, to take that next step and take that next level. And, you know, going from, let's say, a staff pharmacist to a pharmacy manager or a district manager, that pressure I don't think is really here in this MSL role. Every day you'll have new projects to be working on and new providers to be interacting with. So I think right now those things are keeping me pretty occupied. But for, uh, for future goals, I would say next step would be senior MSL. Very cool. 
Um, I mean, it, it sounds like so much of pharmacy school and the first couple of years on a job probably is just very month to month sort of grinding and even quarterly, where are you at? What are the next steps for you? And do you want to stay in your current job? But it, it seems like you've kind of risen above the clouds finally and kind of just appreciating the, uh, the landscape a little bit. Absolutely. That's great. What, what excites you about the future of healthcare? What do you think, uh, what do you think are the, the next steps in the United States specifically? And what are you excited about uh, what's, what's to come in the future? Yeah, so I think maybe this is because I'm still wearing my managed care hat a little bit, but mm -hmm. one of the things that excites me the most, but also is kind of uh, pretty scary and also very challenging is just how we'll pay for everything. And I think <laughs> we have so many innovative thoughts and ideas being thrown out there that I love hearing different perspectives and different ideas. And I think it's just so interesting when there's all sorts of suggestions of new payment models. And especially when these new therapies come out, it seems like even more payment model ideas get generated. So I just love being in healthcare and hearing all these innovations coming out. It's just, it's an exciting time, I think, to be in healthcare. And I know that the next five, 10, 15 years will be even more exciting it's definitely cool how, how quickly the landscape changes it's very interesting to see. Uh, well Brianna this has been just an awesome interview we've been having non-stop great advice from you and you know I'm sure lots of students are going to take you up on your offer for advice because you've been so good at dishing it out uh, do you have any parting <laughs> final thoughts for our listeners yeah, so I definitely stick by what I said earlier, which is feel free to reach out to me with any questions, but I would also encourage anyone listening or reading any of these articles, if you haven't already, find yourself a mentor in any area of pharmacy that interests you the most. I've had mentors in managed care and in industry, retail and hospital, and they've all me to where I am today, but I've also been fortunate enough to mentor a lot of pharmacy students, and I've been able to see a number of my colleagues transition into MSL roles or in roles in industry, and to be asked by them to serve as their reference or to serve as someone who they can put their ideas out with and, and talk about, it's been such a pleasure, and I think that's, for me, something that's really exciting. So, while you're in pharmacy school, find yourself a mentor, but afterwards, be sure to give back. And any opportunity that you have that you can be a mentor down the road, I promise it is so worth it and it's so valuable. <laughs> well, I hope you uh, have enjoyed the chance to be a mentor to hundreds and perhaps thousands of mentees because they're going to be coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been Wonderful. I hope you have a good rest of your evening and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. This has been great. <laughs> Bye-bye. We thank you for listening to the ACMA podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. To learn more about medical affairs and new career opportunities, please go to acmapodcast.com.